just glides inside 50 and hammers it home. Whiteman over his head. Cody Whiteman's kicked a miracle goal. Looking for Van He can go all the way. Straight bang to hit the front. For 10 goals, they call him. Welcome to the Salty Bulldog, the podcast that's already scoured the betting markets to find out the odds on a Bukukamas Coleman in 2022. My name is Matthew Donald. You sure you know my voice by now. The other voice you're going to hear very shortly is that of Nick Galea, the associate that I have on the Salty Bulldog. And the Salty Bulldog podcast is available for you to subscribe to whenever you feel like doing so. Of course, it's available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as the Footy Live app via Sportsmate. You can just download that app on your mobile device check the podcasts tab and you'll be able to find the salty bulldog and there's our social media channels as well which continue to gain notoriety in the digital world on twitter facebook and instagram you'll be able to find the salty bulldog accounts and our website as well www.thesaltybulldog.weeksite.com forward slash home nicolay as i welcome you to the program i've got to admit it feels a lot more refreshing to enter the salty bulldog studios off the back of a win. I'm not sure if you agree with me on that front, but do you feel a sense, a sense of excitement and, and happiness now that we're back on the winner's list? It was nice. Oh, hello, Matt, and hello, everyone. It was nice to be able to actually be able to sing the song once again. Uh, it has, even though we only had won the two weeks earlier, but uh, again, it's the manner of the win and how things had you know come through. And it was impressive. There were times where I probably might have been a bit... Um, ironically not as impressed as I probably thought I could have been but all in all you know you can't go much wrong with a with a what was it a 48 point thumping and you know it's always good to be able to to get a win under Marvel Stadium and and sing the club song again so yeah it's been about a month since I've been able to attend a game haven't seen a, a match since round three so yeah pretty pleased with that happy as punch and uh, I think it was actually a good way to see what the side was again capable of, admittedly against opposition that's, you know, not exactly top tier by any means, or any any sort of um, you know finals contention. But it's the type of win that coming into this year, you probably would have expected against such an opposition just to to say this is where you are and this is where we should be. You know, maybe an extra couple more goals to to round it up, but. Yeah, it's the type of wins where you say, yeah, this is where we're sitting and this is where you guys are supposedly are. And uh, you show your your golf of, you know, or class or such in that distance there. You know, show the chasm between the two sides. So that was pretty good. I think, the, I think as you said, the manner of the win, I think is what stands out most of all. I mean, because we've obviously had wins and we've, we've only beaten one side, I think, that's currently sitting in, in the top eight this year, if I've got that right, in terms of Sydney. The other sides that we've beaten, of course, North Melbourne, Essendon, and then Collingwood on the weekend. But I think this was our, our most complete performance for the year in terms of the way we played, in terms of converting our opportunities, which I know has been a, a big issue at times throughout the year. But I think in terms of most facets of the game, we've, we've got them into an area that is going to hold us in good stead. And if we can maintain that, then there's something to look forward to for the, the rest of the year. It's only one game. And 
you know, it's very easy to get sucked into to want performance. But I think at least we know, and I think this sort of proves that the ability is still there, that that hasn't gone. And I don't think we ever really believed that it had gone, but I think it's good. I think it's good just to just to have that that it's, sort of confirmed. It's one of those again. games. It's one of those games to an extent where, like, you're blowing out the cobwebs. It's one of those games where you just needed to get something done and get yourself going once again. And again, there's different challenges coming up, of course, in the next few weeks. Um, the Suns, for instance, they're not going to be a pushover by any means. They're actually having a very, very strong season, and I'm quite big fans of what they've been able to to produce in in recent years, despite them falling away at times. Um, yeah, that's going to be a different challenge, of course, at Ballarat, and I'd much prefer to have played them under the roof at Marvel in, in this situation. But yes, back on the pies when it was it was very good to see the midfield going about the way that we're used to seeing in, in the previous seasons. And how do we say this? We were very, very pleased to see a couple of names make appearances, weren't we? We some, were. Some that we've been calling for, some that we've been thinking, why haven't they been provided certain opportunities? There's been very you know, clear-cut reasons as to why that's the case. Uh, for Jordan Sweet, for instance, a bout of COVID, a bout of concussion, you know, all these things that are preventing him from trying to, to reach, you know, the starting 22 in the AFL side. And, you know, it was good to see him show his wares. Admittedly, again, against ruck opposition, that's not top standard. You know, Brody Grundy wasn't there and he's not what he used to be anyhow, but he still wasn't playing. And you could think certain things would be a bit different. But I still think always in this, in this fashion, you're only going to get better by playing or being able to see what a player can do at AFL level. To me, if you play a certain grade of football or, you know, you adjust to, if you stay in a particular environment for too long, you become acclimatised to that level and that's where you happen to sit. If you're not getting thrown certain chances in, in different levels, and in this case, the AFL, you sort of forget what it feels like. You sort of forget the pace of the game and to see whether you're up to scratch or not. It wasn't a world-breaking performance. And probably none of us, not, neither of us and everyone else probably wasn't expecting that from, from Jordan. But it showed that this is what he can do at AFL level. And it's not going to be, again, A-grade football, but it's a pretty good ceiling to and a pretty good base to even work off as well, I think. But uh, I've got to... I've got to another one. I've, I've got oh. to pull the... I know you want to get into the individuals, Nick. I've got to pull the reins on you because we, we'll get one because you've mentioned a couple already and there's others that we're going to bring up later. And I know there's you want to get into... others, them. I think. I, I do as well, but we've got to... We've got to get the... Got to get the the housekeeping out the way first. So let's just let's just look at the game in general uh, for for a moment. So we'll go back to Friday night. Just look at the the raw numbers as we do. So you said it was a forty eight point win, uh, 14, 15, 99 to seven nine fifty one, uh, over forty four thousand at uh, Marvel Stadium. I know it's a Collingwood home game, but still a good crowd for the Bulldogs. Uh, four players kicked three goals: Trelaw, Norton, Dunkley, and Karmas. Each kick three. And there's a couple of, two of them forwards. And one of them, forwards. both of them are reinvented defenders. That's just amazing, <laughs> isn't it? Scott and Bontepelli also managed to find the, the score sheet. Bailey Smith, 41 disposals. McRae, 37. Trelaw, 35. And Trelaw, incidentally, the Bob Rose medalist uh, for best on ground. Gets yeah, his right outside. So. Daniel, 34. Liberatore, 31 disposals. And for the coaches' votes, Trelaw received nine votes. Bailey Smith, eight. Dunkley with five, McRae with four, Bailey Dale with three, and Aaron Norton one. Just a quick question, because I was looking at this the other day, and 
I've not really paid much attention to it, certainly not in the way that we had last year. Do you know who our leading, A, who our leading goal kicker is this year and B, how many goals they've kicked? As of this year? Yes, currently at the end of, at the end of round nine. It should still be, off the top of my head, it should still be Norton with 22, shouldn't it? Yes. Uh, did you have a look? No, Before no, I was looking at it three days ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that's yeah, still well, the case. That's still the case. It's interesting because we've spoken about Norton struggling a lot this year, and yet he's still – I, th- I reckon no, if you were to look at it, I reckon he's doing better this year than he was at the same time last year. And maybe he's got to shoulder more responsibility as being the main forward. But I reckon I at this was, stage last year he, he had – at least 35. He was at least 35 goals, maybe 37 goals, I think, after round 15. And I'm getting maybe the certain numbers wrong. It was around – so 33, 35, or 37 – around 15 last year. So he's a long way off that, but there's still another five games to go to be able to get him to at least a 30 mark and then push onwards from there. I th- I th- it snuck up on me a bit. I feel like he's... I didn't feel he'd done that well. But 22 goals in, in nine games is, is better than two a game. That's all we'll right. We'll take that. <laughs> we'll take that. Uh, let's, let's talk about... Let's, let's talk about his forward partner, though. Because this is the one we all want to talk about. All Bulldog fans have been getting up and about all aboard the Buku bus, all the Karmas bus. Uh, okay. However, you what want was to. That thing? What, did, what did I send yesterday? If I can find it. Uh, I think Where you said. I think I think you said keep, Buku. Keep Karmas and carry on. Keep Karmas and carry Isn't on, it? and it was uh, Buku no ca- can't miss. He can't <laughs> miss at all. That's I like that one. Buku can't miss. Proceeds we, to kick a bag of six points this weekend, but also, what happens? We've all fallen in love with him in the last fortnight, and. It's it's quite an amazing story when you when you think about what's transpired over the past twelve months when he made his debut as that third tall intercepting defender where he'd played a fair amount of football over the, over the past few years leading to that moment and then out of necessity they've needed to play him as a ruck forward and then he started kicking goals and he had that brilliant performance on Good Friday in the VFL against North and everyone was calling for him then and and you and I put the brakes on and said, look, it's, oh, I don't know if you did, but I certainly did. I said, it's just, it's one game. Great game, but it's one game. Let's let's see if he can replicate it over a period of time. Uh, and I then think, I think I was just stunned. We had a, a player on our team, again, nearly a defender, that was capable of kicking a bag. So <laughs> what do we have? We had Beveridge in the post game mentioning that, and he reiterated this, which is people maybe not aware of, and I'll get some things for him here, that Karmas, of course, started his career not with us, but his juniors and such as a forward. Now, I gave you a graphic uh, in our chat maybe a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. That's in relation to uh, before he debuted for us last year. So, of yep. course, so when Karmas played for St. Albans, uh, let's have a look. In the WRFL, so 2014, he was an under-14s Div 2 BNF. 2015, he was an under-16s Div 2 BNF. 2014 and 15, he was a junior interleague representative. And in 2014, he was a David Roden squad uh, member. 2018, he also made the under-18s big metro rep. And here we go. In 2014, in the admittedly, it is under 14 still. He kicked 78 goals. In how many games? I don't know, but I can see your <laughs> 120. Eyes right now up. You're saying Coleman. You're saying Coleman right here. Coleman Karmas. King Karmas. Ka- that's it. Coleman Karmas, King Karmas. Call him whatever you like. 
there's there's Callan Coleman Jones and then uh, Buku Coleman Karmas. I like this. Jesus Christ. Oh man. Okay. Well, Maybe we, we know it's Bulldog fans when it comes to forwards, we know how to get carried away though. <laughs> Indeed, especially when they're defenders at heart. Well, he's not he's not a defender. That's the thing. He's actually a forward that's come to us as a defender that's been rehashed again as a forward. Now, Carlos has been on the list for for a few years. So he arrived at the club at the end of, of 2018. So he's been on the books for as uh, if I've yes. got that right, for as long as Bailey Smith has. We were uh, celebrating it uh, 2018, was it? Jeez, we were celebrating that's yeah. right because when Will Hayes was the last draft pick, which yeah. allowed Karmas to slip through unnoticed, and we didn't have to pick up, uh, pay anything for him. We just nope. have to rookie him. Yeah, he's just automatically MGA added to the to the list. MVP. Yeah, we very, so very, ecstatic. very similar to how Cody Rock arrived at the at the club uh, last year, if I've if I've got that right, I think. Um, so Karmas is so well. So he arrived at the same time as Bailey Smith, and Bailey Smith's up to what game seventy odd now, and, and Karmas is up to game three. So they've had very different starts to their careers, and obviously we've talked about Bailey Smith a lot more than we've talked about Buku Karmas. But every time Karmas has, has cropped up, and he may have had a good game in the VFL. Obviously, he made his debut last year, and he played well in the practice match against Melbourne uh, in the in the community series at the start of of twenty twenty one. So he has been in our discussions on occasion. And every time we've spoken about Karmas, the caveat has been what holds him back and often been his durability, not in terms of a, a physical injury sense, but his actual capacity to run out games of football. I think if you go back through it in his, in the, in the 2K time trial in his draft year at the, at the, at the trials, he, he would have finished last, I think quite comfortably as well. I think so. Um, and we saw we saw it in the game against Carlton in his debut last year, where he actually had a really good first quarter and we barely saw him after that. So his inability to, to run out games. I, no, I don't think he got subbed out. I don't think there was an, there was an injury that uh, I can recall. I don't remember. Um, I know no, he spent a lot of the time. That's right. He spent, he was spent um, a lot of time on the bench. Like 80% of the final term on the bench. Yes. bench which he, goes he, to... To scare you here, he's out of contract at the end of this year. But, uh, no, there's, there's no problems there. But uh, yes, but what Just I've bringing that up, of course. What I've noticed though, particularly last week against Collingwood, was that he looks like he's able to impact games for longer. Now, Beveridge said something that I thought was very interesting, and I think goes back to this idea of him not being able to play at hundred percent intensity for for the majority of the game. As an intercept defender, Beveridge said, I don't have the exact quote, but he said something to the effect of, he was very good at intercepting. He didn't do much else, but he was very good at intercepting. That's that's a fair point, which means he reads the ball well in the air and he's got a strong set of dukes. But it does mean that we he's... we can see up the it, other end. But it doesn't mean he's not got it in himself to be able to influence the game in other ways. Like he can intercept, but he, he's not able to, to run at full pace for four quarters. What I've seen in the last two weeks with him as a forward is I've seen second efforts, I've seen third efforts, I've seen him being able to get up the ground, quickly get back into the forward line and do it at a really high intensity and be able to do it for four quarters. Like one of the things I was a bit worried about on Friday night, as great a start as he had, he kicked two early goals, he was up and about, he was looking really good. But the problem with him in the past is that he would have done that and then we wouldn't have seen him for the last three quarters. Now, he only kicked one goal, one more goal, and he kicked it late in the, in the last term. But for the rest of the game, he was constantly presenting, constantly providing a contest, running up the ground, providing a target, 
being a real asset in the forward line and really helping out Norton. Now, there were a lot of marks that he, that he could have taken and he, he, didn't quite, and he didn't quite hold on to them, but he was getting himself in really good positions throughout the game, which given that one of the, the issues that's been holding him back has been his ability to actually influence the game across four quarters, this is a really, really encouraging sign. But this is really positive to see. We've been lacking a decent medium forward for quite a while, haven't we? Now, middle he's a third tall, but he's playing as the second, but he's holding up all right because he can get away with it. I've, at this point, he can get away with it because he's, you know, being able to register such marks, you know, and he's boosted that tank of his and being able to run at games a lot better than previously. I still think he'll obviously fit back in as now as that third tour. I can't believe we're talking about another rehash defender that was a forward. It's just, it's typical beverage, I might say. But I just, I just, just on that, I know we spoke about retraining players in, in other positions and, and how frustrated we were by that last week. We spoke about beverage, but we did, we did concede that there are times where it does work. And when it does work, it looks really good, but it, it does. doesn't, it, it, more often than not, it doesn't work. No, but again, this is, there's got to be but, certain things that allow it to make sense. Yeah. The fact is, Karmas has had a forward craft for a number of years prior to coming to us. So he knows what to do. It's a fair bit different from Eastern Wood. You've played 12 years as a third, fourth tour defender. Let's give you a shot up front. That's a lot more different than that. But fair. with Karmas, it actually does fit very nicely as that medium forward, doesn't he? Now, we haven't had a decent medium forward option. That's been able to, you know, go on with it probably since Bailey Dale in 2019 or the back end of 2019. And that was only more like a like a spurt, wasn't it? Well, I was going to... It's been since we've had those things. I was going to say, I've often spoken about the third tall forward and it looks to me like it's something that Beveridge really values in a, in a side. But for as long as Beveridge has been coached, there's been this real want to have a sort of third tall forward option. So... You can go back to, to 2015, 16, when it was when you had to Crammery and, and Stringer, not so much in 2016 but for Crammery. They but were then, both rotating as second tools to an extent, but they were both strong enough to play as that role at times. So they could they were interchangeable. But they were playing off either Redpath or, or Tom Boyd as exactly. well. Um, bear in mind. Exactly right. And then in uh, and then in, in 2018, they had a, a brief stint, a uh, brief experiment with having Fergus Green down there who kicked four goals for the uh, weekend. Just, you know, just what about the great man Billy Gowers? Well, I wouldn't call Only him a third tour. He was a full forward. No, he was, uh, he was and a then, full forward that was 187 centimetres. He was a medium forward that could play above his height. He's probably then, a better mark than Stringer to an extent. But yeah. And then Bailey Dale in 2019, as you said, and, and in more recent times, they've gone with Mitch Hannon as that, uh, that third tool option. So it's something that they've always been on the look for. And I think Bukakamas, even though he's playing as a second tool, second tool forward now, I reckon when someone like Josh Bruce comes back, that option as a third tool is something that he'll be able to, to play quite well. It, it opens up a lot better pairing Bruce Norton and now Karmas than, say, Bruce Norton and Shaki. You could only get away with Shaki being as a second tool, but at the moment he's not good enough to play as a second tool or, or as such in that fashion. But it just happens to work for Karmas at this point. So but at least you can see that the raw ability suggests, even if there is a down patch, um, you know, throughout this season, I still think the rawness and the ability that's been shown early on 
in his stint there suggests not only there's, is there something to work with, but there's something that is worthwhile investing into it, regardless of you know the, the form fluctuations that might happen this year. So I, I hate think you still back him. I think you still back him. So forward. I hate using this hypothetical, but grand final day, the three forwards are Bruce Norton and Karmas, or Bruce a, Norton, third, or Bruce Norton and Shaq. Third tour, as a third tour, he's a better fit. Do you Karmas see his? Is. Do you see his long term future as a forward as well, or do you see them eventually trying to transition him back into defence? That's what I found interesting too. He made mention that it seemed to be the idea was always to eventually throw him forward. That seemed to have been his reckoning over the past couple of years, despite playing down back. It was probably just a matter of, as you mentioned here, getting that tank up, getting that engine going. It's a bit easier, sort of, and I say it's not playing, not having played footy, but it's probably a little bit easier to conserve your energy as a defender than it is to be or to conserve your energy as a forward, isn't it? So maybe that's probably it... why now the time has come or what they've realised to throw Karmas up front. Perhaps that's what it is. I suppose that, that as a defender, you've always got to be switched on, whereas for a, for a forward, it's not necessarily something that you've got to concern yourself with too much. I'm just having a look here, Nick. See if you can help me out with this one. I suppose it should be obvious now. Who was the last number 24 to kick a goal for the Bulldogs? Oh no. It's not a very it's not an it's not an overly successful number in recent times. I'm trying to recall who the heck I probably should get this, but I'm trying to recall. I I thought about it for a moment. I've just had a look and it and when I figured out the answer is quite it's quite obvious. I'm frankly I'm disappointed that I didn't know this off the top of my head. Yeah. I think I'm probably going to be pretty similar. And this I think, I think it, look, I'll give you a hint. I think it's ironic that we've forgotten. Oh, no. Yeah. No, 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 no. I love that. There's a key word right there. Yeah, forgotten, there is. Forgotten. forgotten. Never forget. Yeah. That's never forget. Oh, my God, geez. It's been four years since he finished up. I'm How? always, I don't know. I'm always fascinated by, by numbers worn by by players that aren't historically significant like i'm I'm not i'm not even talking you know i'm not even talking exclusively about three six and seven but there's numbers that that are worn by a player and then for a very long time they they disappear and another example of that uh, came on the weekend and we've we've got to got to recognize this the uh debut of number 36 luke cleary not Mitch, Luke. Now, quite, since, quite since, since Brian Lake left at the end of 2012, uh, this, the number 36 has been worn nine times, all of them by another former Bulldog who, who made his, uh, who made his uh, dash late in 2018 alongside Fergus Green, Bradley Lynch. Uh, ah, the, the, tenth, great man, Bradley. the great man, the ghost. 
not the goats. I, the goats. I still enjoyed Brad Lynch. I don't know. Is he still playing at Southport or what's he doing now? Like, not not sure what he's uh, what he's doing these, it was these days. You mentioned before Fergus Green, then there was Ben Kavara, and then there was Cal Porter. They were also tearing it to shreds at Box Hill. Ben Kavara was, was another one who kicked four goals on the weekend. Amazing what happens when you got fours in your fourth line. But there's a reason uh, why these players get picked up so easily. I don't know what it is that we choose to not utilize in them, but oh, so be it. We, we, we digress. Let's get back. Let's get back to Luke. Now I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to put up my hand here. Uh, we recorded last week's episode before the news came through about Luke Cleary making his debut. I'm going to, I'm going to admit that nothing against Luke. Of course, I didn't think it was the right player to, to bring in. I didn't think for the areas on the ground that we were struggling in that he was a player that was going to help in, in that regard. Great for him to get a debut, but I, I just didn't think he was going to help fill the void that was present in some of our on-field issues. I think now, we both share that opinion because it, it's a fair point. You know, add another halfback to a team that's already loaded with halfbacks. And it's not because we weren't happy to see him debut. Everyone's ecstatic to see, you know, players debut in that fashion. We all love more, as, as you were, Oh, we definitely do. It was more the time and place. Was it required at this point in time? That doesn't mean we don't want to see it, but do we need it? It's more of a want than a need, I think. But now, he's very impressive, wasn't he? In, in hindsight, I, I stand by what I thought at the time. Uh, I, I still don't. Th- I mean, obviously, our issues aren't necessarily across the half back line. Um, so I, I still stand by that, but I thought his debut, I was actually really impressed. Uh, it was the more he played, the more impressed I, I was. He was involved in the first goal of the game. He, he accepted a kick off the half-back line from, from Bontempelli and got things moving up the other end for, for Karmas to, to score the opening goal. He had 13 disposals. He took seven marks. He won 84% uh, efficiency as well. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't a massive game in terms of stats-wise, but it was a really competent performance. He looked, he didn't look like a debutant he didn't, that had been thrust unprepared into the Friday night lights, like a, like a deer in the headlights. He didn't look out of place. He looked got no, on the ball. He looked, he looked calm and he looked composed. He looked like he was prepared for the occasion. And I think that's the biggest compliment. That you can that you can offer a debutant. I was I was really I was really impressed, and I watched the replay oh, I again. So, it was it was it was beautiful to watch. I think too. Yeah. It was pretty assured, wasn't he? A lot of the time, I, yeah, there was a couple of turnovers, but it didn't deter him at all, which was he, which is very pleasing. Now, I've I've seen debutants, Bulldogs debutants, AFL debutants in the past, and and on their debut they panic every time they get the ball. They just want to, they just want they get it and they just want to get rid of it as soon as as soon as possible, and I can. Not that I've been in that situation, but I can understand why uh, they get like that. But he didn't look like that. He looked like he was very much in control of what he was doing. And ever he'd get the ball and he'd go, all right, I've got it now. Let's just, let's just slow down and let's have a look what's on offer. And let's just make the right choice. He didn't look rushed. He didn't look phased. He, he didn't look like it was, he was overwhelmed by the occasion. So I've got to give him full marks for, for the way that he conducted himself on, on his debut. It's, that, that was a really, really impressive debut. Side note here, different player. But um, since, we, since we were talking about um, 
former footballers of the club being Biggs and Brad Lynch and Cavara and Green and Porter, I might as well just round it off with the good old Fletcher Roberts kicked a bag of, well, not a bag, but he kicked three on the weekend for Port Melbourne. Three. That's three he more than three. he kicked for us in uh, 51 games. Yes. Yes. Another, no, we always uh, got time, plenty of time for Fletcher Roberts, I think, uh, at the Salty Border and across for the fan base. But so, yeah, just wanted to touch on that. Unfortunately, we don't have time for him in my uh, best 22 under 50 games edition because of those two games he played in his last season. He would have been a lock at centre half back. He would have been. He would have he, been. He would like, he, nice. Oh, <laughs> I think uh, he would have. He might well, have been the well, only such. premiership player. I can't remember that uh, that that entire side now. But anyway, we, we digress. There's a couple of questions. We we might get to this one now because I think this is a, this is an interesting sort of segue, and I, and I do want to get this out of the way. So we've got a stack of questions, all relating to the same sort of topic. So um, from Mitch Wynn, uh, from Michael Sheridan, uh, and it might have just been might have just been those two, but they ask questions about Bailey Williams. So Mitch Wind asks, where do you guys think Bailey Williams is at this year? After several years of growth, it looks like a bad grand final has spooked him bad, and he regularly tries to do too much. How can we get him back to his underrated best? And um, Michael asks, what does he need from us to find his best? So clearly, Bailey Williams is is struggling, and I feel like. Cleary and Williams are capable of playing the same sort of roles. Williams has often been played as an undersized sort of third tall defender, particularly in the last year and a bit. Cleary is a little bit taller than Williams. Cleary is about 190, I think. Williams might be around the 187, 188 mark. I'm just wondering whether Williams keeps his spot in the side going forward and, and whether it's ridiculous to say that Cleary overtakes him. But I, I just wonder whether there's room for both of them in the side or, or whether there's an opportunity to give Cleary a go and, and try and get to the bottom of what's going on with, with Williams at the moment because he's well, that's clearly... That was interesting there too, isn't there? Because Williams was played a little bit higher up the ground in the back half for that match on Friday night, wasn't he? And he also spent the last at least the last quarter of the match against Port Adelaide in the forward line. Yes. That's, it's interesting because... We still need. Here we go. This is it. This is an interesting proposition right here. Now, perhaps, obviously, we are still waiting on Lockie Hunter for the wing. Players, <laughs> no. I think. I think Lockie. I think Lockie and Co. <laughs> it's, yeah, a, it's, Lockie a pretty, it's a pretty waiting. big list of absentees. It's a big list, but obviously, for the wing, we've had players like Rourke Smith. We've had Lachlan McNeil. We've had Robbie McComb feature on the wing. Perhaps. The chance to be able to reinvigorate Bailey Williams, it might be perhaps paired on the opposite side to Hunter, not for when Hunter returns, but just for the time being. I'm not sure who the heck's going to take the other wing and now, but um, I'm wondering if that might be the thought process there because we know he's an exquisite deliverer of the ball. His confidence definitely has still been shaken from that, especially from that first term in that grand final last year. It doesn't do you, make him a bad player by any means, though. He just seems a bit shot. Do you think Do you think that that's true with Williams? Because that I can... I can shot from that stuff? That that, that, that that first quarter has of that grand final has caused this. Because when I look back on that grand final, that didn't cost us the game. 
No, no, but some things can hold back into your own personal match. Because I actually, because another one who had a very, another one who had a very ordinary, yeah, he was another one who had a very ordinary first quarter. And he had a very ordinary first term, didn't he? And, you know, we were, as a team, we recovered from that and we put ourselves in a position to win the game. This is not like he froze in the last quarter and coughed up three goals and Melbourne got over the line by a kick. No, it's it's so, as a, it's a position that as a team we recovered from. I, I'm not going to pin the defeat on Williams, and I just wonder if he's shouldering no, if he's shouldering too much. But it's from, a very fair uh, point, actually. It's a legitimate point. When when he when he shouldn't necessarily have to. It's not his fault that he had a he had a, a bad first quarter. I mean, everyone's had a bad quarter, uh, but it didn't cost us the game. No, it didn't. I just wonder whether whether he's carrying that and he's he's being too harsh on himself as a result. Perhaps. It's different levels of scarring that can occur. And it's probably the the magnitude of the stage itself that might be hindering him. I don't think he's played bad football this year. But obviously it's a fair way away from what he, you know, delivered last year, where he was definitely playing at a minimum each week, you know, B grade football. And he had that version of dependability. You know, you always felt assured with, with ball in hand for him. Yeah. And you could trust him regardless if he'd get into trouble um, that he'll figure it out. He'll sort it out. He'll get out of tackles or break through or, you know, play a little bit above himself, sort of like what Dale is to an extent. But it's, it, it's different because it, I don't know if it's proper confidence side of things because confidence can be, brought back as I'm sure the club, you know, beverage and uh, such were there. They're giving him that opportunity in the senior side to say, look, whatever's going on, we still know you're a good player. That's why you're playing in the team. You know, they're still backing him in that sense. I'm just wondering what it is for him that it'll unleash that little trigger to, for him to mentally remember, hang on a moment. I'm a, I'm a bloody good footballer here. You know, I've played in the side, I made a grand final last year. I've been able to establish myself over the last, you know, few years and and improve, you know, and show this is what he is capable of. The query is what what it is that might kickstart him again. And this is probably where we might see one of those, again, rehashed players, not drifting away from what they do best, perhaps, but where they can probably utilise their skill set in a more compatible fashion for the club. And... I'm hoping if that's the case, if he's still on the team, I'm hoping that wing role might be, you know, here we go, I say, at the fire starter for him. Hello, Dwayne. And the other thing as well, on Bailey Williams, in terms of confidence, if it is a confidence thing, what would a relegation to the VFL do to that confidence? Do you make things worse by keeping him in the senior side or do you make things worse by actually dropping him? Because let's be honest, no matter like the club, like clubs are very conscious of how they omit players from the side. Now they're they're managed or they're omitted or it's general soreness. But internally, they'll know when they're dropped. And Bailey Williams will, will know if he's being dropped or if he's being managed. I suspect. So what what would be worse? I wonder as well. Are you better off? Are you better? Are you better off writing it out as a club and saying, "Look, it's a. We know you're a good player. We know Bailey Williams is a good player. That ability didn't disappear on Grand Final day. 
It's still there. It's a confidence thing. Can you win that back by keeping him in the AFL in the senior side with the cameras and, and the eyes and, and the fans all on him? Or does that make things worse? Or does actually conceding that there's been a significant drop-off and putting him back into the VFL make things worse? It's a, it's a tricky he's conundrum. A, I, don't think he's a, I don't think he's the character to allow certain things like a dropping to, to push him back. Because he has already been dropped once this year. Admittedly, it was as a medical sub. And I think he did even, he did come onto the ground anyway. Mm. I can't can't quite remember. He might have been a used medical sub one week and then an unused one the the next. I'm not quite sure. I wonder. Like a proper run in the VFL. I think it depends on how long the run is. But the question is, if you leave him in the VFL for too long and someone else is able to take the spot, then that might drop the confidence right there. I think that's probably what the concern is more so than the actual potential dropping to the VFL, per se. But look, I think that's probably why they're giving him this opportunity on the, on the wing. This is just me from the viewing side of things. I think it's worthwhile as an opportunity. On the wing, you've got to be a hard runner, you've got to be creative, you've got to provide a bit of dash. And again, you've got to be a, a good ball user. And it might be able to afford him a bit more time and space where the ball has been coming through from our mids, you know, and he can get the ball passed on to him more so than trying to deal with the, you know, the meddling chaos that can come from a, from an inside 50, I think. Or a defensive inside 50, how he's trying to just, you know, rebound the ball under pressure. That might be probably what's hindering him a little bit, perhaps. Not that it ever did last year, but who knows. Nick, I've got a question for you. On the Bulldogs, if I were to ask you, who is the Bulldogs' most improved player this year? Is it a given or do we have a decision to make? Because I reckon after round five, it would have been a foregone conclusion. But if we're taking into account the nine games across the year so far, I think we've got a different answer. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. So after nine rounds, the player that we're probably thinking of, of course, now is, is a player that wasn't properly utilised in recent years for his best attributes. Another position change. And a vague, yes, a bit of a position change. But when they were deemed fit last year, after a lengthy time on the sidelines, they were brought back in, weren't they? So who, who was most improved at the club by round five? Oh, dear. Now I'm trying to remember who it was actually at this point. Well, I, think it's, I think it's pretty oh, yes, Tim English. Tim English. Tim English, that's right. And who do you reckon um, it is now? Well, seeing as the absentee of English, it uh, looks like we're going to have to focus on one Ed Richards, won't we? Yep. Agreed. And probably in another five weeks' time, it's just going to be Coleman Karmas. <laughs> so. Yes. I like this. I like this a lot, but I think it's time now that we reserve praise for Ed Richards. We've held back on it a, a, a lot this year. Red for Ed. Yeah, the, the Bulldogs have been talking this guy up to the hills and back, that he has just absolutely torn things to shreds in, in the preseason. And I have to admit that in the first couple of practice matches and in the first couple of rounds of the season, us, we, were, we were seeing glimpses of it. We were sort of seeing little bits of, oh, yeah, no, that was that was all right. You know, he's playing on the half back. It's his natural spot now. He's doing all right here and there. But 
we weren't quite seeing that big, oh my goodness, this guy is just amazing now. We weren't quite seeing that. And we're probably not still not seeing that, but I think we're getting a lot closer to it, particularly over the last few weeks. I'm really liking what he's he's bringing. I think we're starting to see the Ed Richards that we picked up at pick 16 in the in the 2017 draft. It's a first-round draft pick, remember. This has, is a significant has investment. Taken, has he sort of taken the position that Williams actually was playing? A little bit. He does take a few intercept marks, actually. I've noticed Richards has done that lately, and he's been but forced to play a, a, a little bit taller at times. To be honest, I've never thought he was a particularly good mark of the football, but that has improved a lot this year. Hmm. Very just... interesting there. So he's taken 25 marks in the last three weeks. Admittedly, four of those only are contested, but that's four in three games, and in the early part of the season, it had only been four in the previous uh, six matches there. So it's interesting to see that he's also been able to get his kick ratio a lot higher up too. Uh, 16, 10, and 15 in the last three rounds. And prior to that, he had been pretty much in the low, low 10s. Okay, so 10, 11, 12, and 11, again, with a couple of games below the 10 brackets, six and eight. But it's interesting that he's been a bit more productive by foot, isn't it? And... Sorry, Nick, can I, I just want to just stop you there. I'm just having a look mm-hmm. at the, the numbers here. So he was averaging about three marks a game last year. Yes, sixteen and sixteen and five. And he's averaging he's averaging five this year, mm-hmm. including nine he's, at the weekend. He has a habit of saving his best. I don't know if you've noticed this. He has a habit of saving his best for Collingwood. Yes, yes. I was bringing it up to uh, to Brad on Friday night too. It was where we attended that game, didn't we? You and I were pretty livid at the uh, the final quarter, at least I think in twenty eighteen. It's, it made sense in retrospect, seeing as the boys were absolutely stuffed from the week before. But he's had he's had four times rate. in his career, he's had 20 disposals or more. Three of those are against Collingwood. And it's so fitting that it's his grandfather's club, isn't it? Yeah. With the bloodlines. It's just beautiful. Oh, I'm, re- I'm, I'm really pleased for Richard's improvement. And not just because he's made me over 130K in, in Supercoach this year. That was, a, that was a very wise decision on, on my part, if I, if I do so myself. Uh, but I think as a, as a player that's gelled into the Bulldogs' backline, and, and we spoke about this, uh, I think, about Crozier as well, that it wasn't going to be an easy backline to break into, given the quality that was there, particularly across the half backline. But he has earned his spot back in the side, and it's been a slow sort of progression. I often speak about the spike in terms of a player going from go to woe and almost overnight, it would appear if you look back at their numbers. Now, Tim English is that we've seen a massive spike from him this year. Uh, Ed's uh, Aaron Norton was another one who showed a bit of a spike. Ed's is not quite quite as stark. It's a bit more gradual, but we're starting to see it. Yes, it's it's progressively linear, isn't it? Yeah, for Ed Richards. Admittedly- Actually, it is. It's one of the rare occasions where you would see real linear progression and development. Unless Rather you're Bonson Pally. Well, there is Bonson Pally's not linear progression, it's just automatically into <laughs> it the just, stratosphere, though. That's the difference. Yeah, it just it just started at the ceiling and kept going. <laughs> yeah, there, well, there's I mean Bonson Pally's um of, of of another class, most of those most of those players are. But I think we're starting to see the first round draft pick that we invested in in Ed Richards. 
Rodgers. It's hard to believe he was a first-round draft pick. He's never really felt like one. Now, I remember bringing up to you before, even probably might have been our early first two episodes of the podcast, and I was telling you, keep an eye on the redhead. You did. You did say that. I and that still was remember pick, that. That was for pick 16. So, yes, it's, a, it's interesting to see how it's come from that, you know, what he's been able to, to produce at this point in time. And it is fun to watch. I, think I do I'm... love a defender that runs and carries and, and bounces the ball. It's contagious, I think, for me anyhow. But I think he does after... have a lot of dare, doesn't he? I think after his second game, I, I might have I might have put him on Brownlow watch. I don't know if he's ever going to quite reach those sort of heights. Uh, second but, match against, <laughs> against, the, bomb, against the Bombers. Jeez, <laughs> yeah. Brownlow, what you reckon? Yeah, well, I, I think so. I think so. If you want to listen to to those old episodes, I, I think I may have made that call. One, one play what you would have done had he after he kicked that three goal haul against the Cats in that win. Imagine oh, he, what you would have dubbed him there. I, I, I think. Goals, I, I think. I think I bought an Ed Richards badge that night. <laughs> I think you did actually. I, I do remember that. That was a fun night. Uh, that one, was a heart attack and a fun night. One play that stood out for me, in particular with Richards, was very early on in the game. He took the ball on the halfback line. And he sort of went off on one of those runs of his, and he went for the kick to center half forward. It wasn't a great kick. It was a shocker, frankly. Um, that was not what impressed me. What impressed me was the fact he actually kept the running from that stage. He would eventually start the play at half back. He would eventually get the ball again at half forward, hand pass it off to Trelaw, who ran in to kick the second goal of the night. And I didn't notice that until I watched it on the replay. But I saw it and I went, geez, that's good work by Richards. That's a good follow-up. I like, I like a player who follows up, who keeps running. He knows football, doesn't he? <laughs> he, he, oh, do- he does. He does. Oh, what else is it? Um, he's got an IQ, is uh, I think is uh, is the quote. I think that's what the term was. I still he knows, he knows football. He's got an IQ. Gifts. I think uh, we should have this when this uh, gets posted up onto Twitter. I think we should throw in the GIF that Ed Richards has in there, if it allows us to do so. The the tongue I'm sure it would. Yeah, might as well if we can find that. Throw it in. Uh, Oh, there's so many players I want to talk about. There's still, still a couple more that we've got to got to get through. Fortunately, there aren't too many questions this week. There's just some uh, off-field stuff that we've got to look at. Now, there's for me, Nick, I don't know about you, there's two Jordan Sweets that are running around at the Bulldogs at the moment. There's the Jordan Sweet that the Bulldogs gave a two-year contract to last season. And then there's the Jordan Sweets that couldn't get a game ahead of Steph Martin in the early parts of the year. I think we saw the former on Friday night. Now you've given me the numbers here. I want to, I want to go through them because I think this is, this stands out quite a bit. And I know you spoke about him a little earlier, but there's a, there's a caveat in, in some of the stuff that people have been pointing out. He attended 63 rock contests. English, uh, sorry, not English suite. He won 26 hit outs 10 of those were to advantage now call me out on this nick if i'm wrong but the league average in terms of hit outs from contests is around the 30 to 33 percent mark so roughly the league average you should be winning a third of the ruck contests that you compete in as a ruckman he won hit outs in 41 percent of his contests let's see what i can find actually in terms of uh, hitouts to advantage, I think again the average. So, so this is again, this is I 
the AFL average. I think it's about that 30 to 33% mark again. So you should be winning the hitouts in a third. Here we of- go. Here we go. Off one game, admittedly, to be fair. So hitouts to advantage is actually deemed above average. Really, it's only off one game. But at 38.5% of yep. those. So, so, the, the, so an average ruck, an average ruckman will win a third of the hitouts that they contest in, and another third of those hitouts will be to advantage. That's an average ruckman. His, his uh, career advantage is also above average, thirty-one and a bit. Admittedly, his hitouts one average is below average, thirty-five. So it's interesting how they team how they deem you know hitouts one and such. You know they'd still want you to be closer to that 50% bracket or higher than 45, which Sweet isn't at yet. But it says that when he does get his hands on it, it is very much going to reward you. Which has also been the case for Tim English this year, actually, where he's starting to rectify and close that gap. He, he uh, did. Those but, numbers. but I think this shows the importance of having a Ruckman that can compete. And unfortunately, I don't think Martin can compete in the manner that he used to anymore. But I think Sweet can. I hate to quote Homer Simpson there, but I do think sweet, sweet can. Of course. That's a lovely reference. It is. Can't go wrong with it, I don't think. No. Thank you. Um, what else is there? <laughs> what else is there? Can, here's a question. Yep. This is a question I wanted, to, this is what I focused on last year a bit, but it's something that we might need for the time being. Now, we've started to piece the puzzle together with Norton, fitting it up with Karmas, depending on Josh Bruce returning to the side. We don't know how he will return, to be fair. Okay, We're expecting him to still hopefully be right, but we'll see. We know English wants to play Ruck. Can we play both Sweet and English? And does that mean English should play a bit higher up the ground? Because Sweet is best utilised as a Ruckman. That doesn't mean English doesn't chip into the Ruck but it also might help us out cover certain things and stretch opposition defences. So we've had people asking about this and the answer is yes for sweet and English. The answer is yes, we can. Yes, this is a resounding yes from the salty bulldog here. I'd like this answer here. If the question is sweet and Martin, however, I think the answer is no. And the reason for that is because I think they're too similar in terms of styles of of ruck. Now, they're both strong sort of brutes that can throw their weight around in the the middle and and win a hit out. Probably sweet more so than Martin now that Martin's, you know, 35. And uh, I think after training, he goes to the old folks home. But neither of them are really able to have much of an impact as a forward. English can go forward and be that option if, if necessary, I think Sweet was actually handy drifting back into defence. So I think Sweet is more of a negative ruckman. Yes, combative, which is someone yeah. that nullifies opposition rucks. Because he might not provide the silver service that like a Max Gorn or, or a Nick Natanui can. No, but what he'll reduce their influence to do so. Won't yes, you? he, That's he all we will. Need. We just need to give our mids half a chance and let the calibre of what they can do you know, go to business. Yeah. And That's people will think. people will say that he wasn't up against much in terms of uh, Cameron and, and Big. That I think Cameron had played. I think it was fourteen. Cameron's games. not the worst. Cameron is not the and worst. And Big was in the his. The funny thing is, 
I don't know how many beggars, but the funny thing is too, in the in retrospect, to be fair, those two players in a kind of way weren't up against much in sweets and they couldn't do much about it too. So so Cameron's played 19 games. Beggar's played, well, that was his first game actually, Beg. So 20 games between them. But remember, Sweet's only in game six. It's not like Sweet's got 100 games under his belt. No, they're both pretty, or they're all on level pegging to an extent. The only difference is Sweet's probably, or Cameron's got a couple of years on Sweet. Sweet's 24, 23, give or take. And mm-hmm. one's been playing AFL against you know, caliber rucks such as Cameron. He's been playing against, you know, decent level ruckman and Sweet hasn't been afforded that opportunity. So Can he's I get still a... playing against an AFL level ruck, isn't he? He is, yeah. No, absolutely. I, I, so I, I, I really hope. It's not, a, it's not an amazing performance, but you, it, it's something to properly build off. Hopefully, we'll see how he goes though against a very, very good ruckman in, in Jared Witts this week. That'll be a terrific test. I know you've got to test. go. I know you've got to go. Can I get a quick word on, on Riley West? Because we've got to talk about Riley West. We've been wanting him I in for, for years. To. I think it's exactly the type of style of play that we would have wanted. He had – how many pressure acts did he have? Oh, 23 or such. I think that was the uh, second or third most on the ground. I've got to double-check that. But the point is it's, it's those elements of the game which make people – think to yourself and say, this is really, really impressive. Yeah, 21, actually, sorry. And five tackles in that mess there. So it's 26 acts that impacted a game or allowed pressure onto an opponent. Those are the type of numbers we'd be wanting to see more often from him, I think. Second on the – second, uh, second behind for the, the dogs. Libertura, yeah, for the, for the for dogs. the dogs, that is. And he was you know, you're doing deliver. pretty well there too. He was constantly harassing, pleasingly, admittedly, for, for McNeil. Didn't people will look at his game too, but still 17 pressure acts for him, equal with McRae. So plenty of work. And again, for the great man, Ed Richards, 14, and Jordan Sweet, 14 as well. So good to see a Ruckman working hard, isn't it? It's, it's actually good to see that the, the, the powers that be at the Salty Bull, uh, the Western Bulldogs have been listening to the Salty Bulldogs. The <laughs> well, I mean, yes, we're okay. listening to we're, we're I, I, listening I look to forward to having our application for list manager come right through. <laughs> we'll we'll stand by. The great man, Sam Power. We'll stand by. Just one final thing um, that, that I've got to mention that I, we didn't mention last week, and there's so much stuff that we always forget to, to talk about, but this we can't overlook two weeks in a row. The club membership, the Western we Bulldogs can't Can't miss. The Bulldogs broke their mem- their record in terms of uh, club memberships a couple of weeks ago. Now, at Salty Bulldogs, we may have jumped the gun a little early, uh, but in our defence, we were quoting numbers that were from the, the Herald Sun, and Bulldogs said that they, they were correct according to the Herald Sun. Uh, the Bulldogs have a different set of numbers, um, and uh, someone sent me an article that uh, that came from the Bulldogs website that had a different set of membership numbers. So, so who knows? But at the moment, I've checked as of uh, uh, the 17th of May, we've got 48,228 members um, at the uh, associated with the Western Bulldogs. So that's a fantastic effort, given that not even 20 years ago, we were struggling to get 20,000. Now we've got uh, double that and then some closing on 50,000. So I had to acknowledge that. And I think we just got to get them all to the games, don't we? Now we've got to get them all to the games. And I don't know, 50,000, if we can get the 50,000 this year, that'd be huge. Um, that would be a massive deal. 
and and a, a great and a great um, accomplishment from everyone associated with the club over the over the past twenty years. And I think that's a great note to end on. Unfortunately, there were there was a there were questions I wanted to ask you Nick, that we didn't get time to do. So we'll, we'll find time for them, no doubt. Uh, thank you to, to everyone who's uh, sent through a question. Uh, I hope we answer them either directly or indirectly throughout the episode. Uh, Nick, I want to thank you for your, your time today. It's a pleasure having you on, and I appreciate you you joining in during your lunch break. It's always it, always very good of you. It is always good fun, especially after a win. I tell you, it's much relieved after a win. The Salty Bulldog Podcast, you'll be able to download via the Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and also the Footy Live at Via Sportsmate. And there's our social media channels as well. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and our website, www.thesaltybulldog.weeksite.com forward slash home. I've been Matthew Donald. I've had Nick Galoo with me. Wherever you've been listening in around the world, we thank you for your time. We look forward to having you join us again next week. But until then, take care.